Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. We went around the bend on the weekend, and the big winner was, by a long margin, Brody Kostecki. He brushed off the jet lag and scored a brilliant clean sweep, which was made even better by quiet weekends for Shane Van Gisbergen and Brock Feeney, and a bit of a disaster for Will Brown. It was a big weekend for Tommy Randall too, who scored three podiums in the Castrol Mustang, as the four teams actually looked in the game for the first time this season. There are also clean sweeps in Carrera Cup for Callum Hedge and V8 Super Utes for Cameron Crick. Cooper Webster won two of the S5000 races with the finale going to Aaron Cameron. In TCM, the wins went to Ryan Hansford with one and Joel Heinrich with two. And the Toyota 86 wins went to Ryan Tomsett, Cody Bircher and Ryan Kasher. The silly season just keeps on getting sillier and sillier. There were some expected moves confirmed since the last pod, including Will Brand to Triple Eight, Jack LeBrock to Erebus Motorsport, and David Reynolds out the door at Grove Racing. Meanwhile, there were some somewhat unexpected developments, such as Richie Stanaway as a replacement for Reynolds at Groves. Not sure many saw that one coming. That one is now official as well. Fabian Coulthard has dropped out of the running for the WAU seat that will now formally be vacated by Nick Perkett at the end of the season, while James Courtney is in the frame to potentially replace Todd Hazelwood at BRT or even reunite with the Stone family at MSR. Supercars held a fascinating four-car test at the Bend on Monday to back-to-back new aero for the Mustang, trial a new tyre, which is actually a good year, although it turns out you upset people when you mention that, and test a revised steering rack. And thank the good Lord, New Zealand is back on the supercars calendar. The series will race in Taupo next year in what is expected to be an April slot. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that would never try and take my maiden solo podium away from me, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how are you this week? G'day, Andrew. I am very well. Those uh, those Tickford boys made a teammate joke pretty easy for you this week. Yeah, yeah, I could, uh, I could, I could sort of chalk that one up nice <laughs> and early and not have to uh, dwell on it. Sometimes it does take a while. It can be a bit of a, uh, a bit of a bottleneck in the pod scripting process. Sometimes it feels like a, a hold station order among teammates causes more angst than an actual shunt these days. Like yep. Cam certainly uh, wasn't too pleased that he uh, was told not to have a crack at Tom. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was quite good when he came out and said, "Yeah, I did it. I did it this once." And I'm uh, actually he made a little wise crack in the press conference on Sunday evening um, about the fact that they had had a bit of a dice, him and Tommy, and cars hadn't got wrecked. And he did that with Tim Edwards sitting next to him, and uh, Tim took it in very good spirits. He uh, he enjoyed it. He had a bit of a laugh about it. So poor old Tim has uh, seen his cars collide uh, one too many times. I think <laughs> it might be a little <laughs> bit uh, risk averse on those ones. <laughs> 
Uh, very, very true. Uh, well, it was a fascinating weekend at the Bend. Let's just start with Brody Kostecki because he really turned it on over the weekend. It was basically a flawless weekend, you know, aside from a slow start to race one, which we'll get to soon, and then just missing pole for the second race. Other than that, geez, that was a sort of weekend that you look back on as a turning point in a title-winning season. You know, I know the Enduros are coming. I know that they have the potential to turn things around very quickly when we're talking about 300 points uh, for individual races, but Brody just really looks the goods at the moment. Yeah, Brody was just exceptional on the weekend. There's no doubt about that. I think it was the first time we've really seen one car dominate a whole weekend like that in this Gen 3 era because obviously Erebus have had good cars all year, but given how close the field tends to be, it's been really difficult to execute three qualifying sessions and three races quite to that level. So the, the only thing was they didn't actually unload that well, did they? Like Brody's car wasn't great in practice, but they seemed yeah. to just know exactly what strings to pull to get it in the window and pretty much all the sessions that mattered, he dominated. So yeah, it, it was a big statement in terms of the championship, but then I guess on the other side, the fact Shane grabbed a heap of points from what could have been an absolute shocker. Like, yeah. it wasn't quite a Scott Dixon style gold watch retrieval, but it was pretty impressive from from that side too. It certainly was. Um, we'll get onto that in a minute. We saw a great weekend for Tommy Randall. You know, came in uh, with zero solo podiums and supercars, ended up with three. Matty Payne was another standout performer over the weekend with some pretty commendable speed. You know, I know the Ben cops a lot of flack, Stefan, but what I do like about the joint is that it seems to be the sort of place where the driver can make a difference. We see it a bit on street circuits too, but this does seem to be the sort of place that you either get or you don't. You know, David Reynolds admitted during on the telecast during the weekend that he doesn't quite get it, but guys like Tommy and Matt, they really just understand it and know how to be fast there. Yeah, it's an interesting point because, um, you know, all drivers have some tracks that they like better than others, and Dave is probably more susceptible to that than most. And clearly there is something about the bend that just doesn't really suit him. Like, it's, it's obviously a very smooth and flowing circuit with a lot of fast corners, so it's not your typical Australian racetrack. And, you know, Tommy Randall and Matt Payne have both done a fair bit of racing on those sorts of circuits in Europe, so there might be something in that where it just suits their style a bit more. But at the same time, like, those guys had really good cars too, didn't they? You can't just pick up a bad car and carry it on a track like that as maybe as opposed to a street circuit. No, 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 for sure. That's definitely true. But um, but still, obviously, there is something in that, and I think it does come back to that experience on those on those bigger, more open European circuits. Um, on the flip side, it was a tough weekend for Will Brown. Obviously, the race one DNF was a big hit and not necessarily his fault, but, you know, was in a way a symptom of a relatively poor effort in qualifying. I mean, he was a second off Kostecki in qualifying. And then on Sunday, he just didn't see him in the game, you know, on a weekend when his teammate was unstoppable. Um you know, in my view, Stefan, he needed to have the weekend that Kostecki had if he really wants Erebus's unwavering support to try and win this title, you know. But to have the weekend he had, there's just so much stacked in Brody's favour now. Yeah, well, it's obviously blown out that deficit to Brody, like 258 points now. Like that feels like a lot given that Will was leading five races ago, but mm. the first thing they really got to work out is where the pace went. Like, forget about the points. Like, he was so far off Brody in every yeah. session, and the easy answer is that it was just the driver not turning up mentally, given that everything um, 
sort of that went on with the silly season stuff in the lead up. And it might well be that, but I'd bet they're having a pretty close look at that car back at the workshop as well to make sure nothing was bent or, or cracked in the chassis or something that they were carrying through the weekend because they did seem really quite perplexed by the whole situation. Absolutely. Uh, I said we'd get to the start of race one, Stefan. Uh, of course, we saw Tommy Randall charge into the lead and Chaz go from fifth to second place. And everyone was talking about Chaz's start, obviously, but it turns out there was a contributing factor. So apparently, for whatever reason, Randall's car sparked a store warning as the five-second board went up, maybe some sort of 2022 throwback. So nearly every car in the field had a big yellow square on their, da- on their dash and couldn't see revs or throttle percentage or anything, really. They were basically flying blind, uh, except Randall, who did didn't have the warning because his car had apparently prompted it. Um, and the WAU cars, which run the stall light system, which is mandatory, but not the dash warning, which isn't actually mandatory. So Mostert could still see the stuff he needed to see to try and get the car off the line well. And that kind of explains his rocket start. Yeah, that's a really interesting little uh, nugget from the weekend. And obviously supercars and Motec have got to look at what actually happened there because that system does use a whole range of parameters to try and identify a car stalling before it actually happens. Because if you just waited for the revs to go completely to zero, it can be too late. You know, you've got an accident happening before the warning lights go off. But something has obviously triggered it that shouldn't have triggered it, and it affected a lot of guys. I don't think Brody had that excuse, though, because he was actually ahead of Randall on the grid, so he didn't get the warnings. He just made a bad start. But I think the other takeout from this is that there will be a rule tweak before Sandown to ensure everyone has to run the full dash warnings because clearly there was something that got lost in the carryover of the rules from from last year into Gen 3 because the intention was for everyone to run the full warning on the dash, not just those lights that Walkinshaws were. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure uh, you'd be in favour of full uh, dashboard parity. Well, speaking of parody, it was a talking point, of course, again on the weekend, but a bit of a different talking point because we actually saw uh, some pretty speedy Fords and some Fords that were, you know, looking after their tyres about as well as the Camaros were. So there does seem to be some cautious optimism uh, about parody. In Ford team land, you know, they're staying pretty quiet, as I'm guessing they'd like to see a few more concessions out of yesterday's test at the bend. Um, drag is a big concern for the 14s, particularly heading to the Enduros where top speed is important. Uh, the concerns seem to start at SMP um, and were based around this new rear aero package being too draggy. Um, it didn't seem like it was such as big a problem at the bend, and that could be because it turns out at SMP the shift cuts were actually equalised when the Fords moved to the 80 mil throttle body. It was decided for the bend that to go back to the 50 millisecond for the Fords and the 105 for the Chevs, and that's how it will stay for the rest of the season. So, you know, there's some on the blue oval side that think that contributed to the issue in Sydney and it was why it was less of an issue Um at the bend, but there is still basically a feeling that the car is still a little bit too draggy either way. Um, there was a bunch of stuff tested yesterday, um, such as rear wing with skirnies, skirts, uh, even a different front bar at the bend. So we'll see what comes out of that. There's really no indication yet if we could see any changes before Sandown. Um, all the Supercars has all the data now. They'll go back and look at it and validate it, and I guess – We'll wait and see um, and see what sort of happens in the in the short term future. Yeah, it's it's a good thing for Ford and Supercars to to work on this stuff, to go and apply the science, do the testing, gather the data, and make sure they're ready in case they need to act again. But 
surely they're not going to do another error change without that actual formal review process being triggered by the lap time formula that gets applied to the racing. So no doubt they planned this testing not quite expecting what happened during the race meeting. Like the Mustangs, as you said, they were super competitive. So I don't believe the trigger was set off at the bend. No. So they might no. actually need to press on with what they've got for a little bit. No, and I think I think everyone was expecting it to be set off at the bend. It was sort of teetering on the edge, but um, I think on the trigger system, from what I was told, the Mustang was actually the marginally quicker mm. car. Um, so, yeah, quite, uh, quite different. Yeah, the weekend was one of those ones that emphasised how much of a dangerous game it is to just judge parity based on lap times and race results because – Obviously, a Camaro dominated. Brody was the best car for almost all the sessions, but you know he was seven tenths quicker in that last qualifying session than the next Camaro. And the- and then you look at the round points, and there were nine Mustangs in the top eleven at the end of the weekend. So it's hard to know where that all equates to. Yeah, what what the teams and drivers are saying. Obviously, the low deg nature of the bend was another sort of point that the four teams were making about how, you know, if anywhere was going to suit that car, it was going to be there. But at the same time, on Friday, there was concerns about the drag and concerns about how important aero balance is there. And, and yeah, so I, I definitely don't think the weekend played out as people were expecting it to. There was a um, weird weekend for Triple Eight at the bend as well. Shane was once again complaining about steering issues and sort of toddled around in fifth all weekend, as you pointed out. Pretty good recovery, really, given the fact that he didn't really look and feel like he was in the game. Um, Brock was even slower and then got caught up with Reynolds uh, in the last race and finished dead last. What did you make of that Reynolds versus Feeney clash, by the way? That was a really interesting one. I felt like Reynolds was a bit hard done by there. Like the stewards report said he had sufficient overlap so there was no problem from that perspective. But the issue they stated was that he'd locked his rear brakes and slid up into Brock. But I'd love to see the data out of that car because it looked a lot like Reynolds lost the rear actually because of the contact from Feeney turning in. It's just, it's really hard for the driver on the inside in that situation, I reckon. Like Reynolds was at the mercy of Brock's turn in once they actually got to the corner. What uh, what did you make of it? I generally feel that Reynolds is pretty quick to put his hand up when he makes a mistake and say, yeah, I really got that wrong. So the fact that he was kind of – like he's probably one of the more balanced blokes out there or if anything sort of tends to err on the side of like, geez, I think I might have made a mistake there. So mm. when he was sort of saying, I think this, I think the, I think race control got this one wrong, to me that, that says it all because he's not one to generally just blow up and look at something completely one-sided. So, yeah, I think it was a 50-50, you know, and, and probably didn't deserve a penalty. In some ways, it was just good to see Reynolds having a go because, yeah. man, like that last lap of race two where he didn't defend Chaz for the podium into turn one, like you could tell that like Al McVeigh and, and those guys in the garage, they look pretty frustrated with that. Yeah. And it's not the first time we've seen that. So, yeah, you're right. I guess it's about striking that balance and, you know, attacking when you can attack. But, yeah, look, in that case, I really don't think he did too much wrong and, and, and was a bit bit unfairly penalised. Um Let's crack into the silly season madness because that's what it is, pure madness. We don't need to spend too much time on what was formally confirmed since we last spoke. We knew last week that Will Brown was heading to Triple Eight and that he would be replaced by Jack LeBrock at Erebus. I know we touched on it a bit last week, Stefan, but what's your thoughts on JLB on the JLB move? You know, he's got what seems to be a pretty happy home at MSR. Is there a bit of a risk heading into Brody's team there? Well, I mean, 
from Jack's perspective, yes, it'll be tough against Brody for sure, but it's still a no-brainer to sign up with the form team yeah. in the championship. It's it's just a great move for him. I think from the Erebus side, that's where it's just a solid and safe option that they've gone with. Like Jack's got form in these cars this year with MSR, as, as you say, and he's experienced. He knows Barry and Betty well from their past association, and he's a strong commercial operator out of the car. So considering how relatively late Erebus was thrust into a driver market that they didn't want to be in, clearly Jack ticks a lot of boxes for them. Let's drift into some more left field areas now. I stumbled across quite the revelation last Thursday, Stefan, and that's that Richie Stanaway is the man that Groves will replace David Reynolds with. They really are taking the whole Triple Eight South thing to a new level. Uh, on Monday, the Groves announced both Reynolds' departure and Stanaway's impending arrival. The Groves march to the beat of their own drum. There's no doubt about that, and so does Richie. How do you see this one playing out, Stefan? You were obviously feasting on all this silly season chat at the band, Andrew. And uh, yes, this story was a great get by you late last week. Thank so you. I, I think the best thing about the Richie signing is that we have no idea how it'll, it'll play out. Yeah. Like it really could go incredibly well or massively badly. And good on the grows for taking the punt on that. It's I just agree. a really, really exciting signing. And Stephen Grove had been strong on the fact that they weren't after a stopgap. They wanted to sign someone who they felt could win them a championship. And this time last week when we were talking about this and, you know, you were trying to sell me the dream of James Corden going into that seat, I couldn't see quite how they were going to do something like that and be true to what Stephen had been saying. But with Richie, like, who knows, right? Like, he could actually win a championship. Definitely. I mean, there was discussions with James Cordy, so let's not brush off my theory uh, entirely. You don't compliment my news-breaking skills and then uh, chuck them in the trash at the same time. But, um, yeah, look, I, I totally agree. This is either going to work spe- – this could work spectacularly well or spectacularly poorly. Um, you know, obviously anyone who listens to this pod regularly knows you and I rate Richie very highly. You know, and he showed at Bathurst last year just how good he is. This will be a big test of his mindset. It would be no matter what. That's nothing to do with this team. It wouldn't. It would be no matter what team he was going to as a, in a full time capacity. Given how his first crack at being a full time supercars driver went, I feel like there is a bit of a get out of jail free card here. There was no mention of the length of the deal, but generally when they're more than a year, it will be flagged as a multi year deal in the media release. So I guess if it does end up being a disaster, Groves can go back and dabble in the 2024 market, which is, you know, uh, well, sorry, the 2024 silly season for 2025, which is expected to be a bit more open. So they, you know, if this does end up, it can end up being a stopgap if it really has to be. But, you know, I really hope it's not. I hope Richie comes in motivated, ready to go and just absolutely performs to his potential. That team is well-resourced. Matt Payne has shown great, you know, progress this year. He's clearly a mega talent as well. It could be pretty exciting times there. Yeah, definitely. And like you say, with um, they could be back in the market the following year. Who knows? But I think um, we've learnt to take uh, multi-year deals with a grain of salt anyway. So uh, you just take every year as it comes from here on. I think so. Uh, the next thing we know is that Nick Perkett is definitely out at WAU. Obviously, no great surprise there, but that has now been properly confirmed. Nick had a go at confirming it uh, on the telecast um, after qualifying fourth for race three where he said, well, this is quite timely because I need a new home next year. 
which I don't know went down really well at WAU. But anyway, um, Fabian Coulthard is no longer in the running for that seat. Uh, it seems like the best that was on the table for him was potentially a single-year deal, and he wanted more than that. So that pretty much leaves Ryan Wood clear to take over the number two next year. Yeah, that's probably ended up landing where it should with uh, Ryan Wood set to uh, progress from their Super 2 team to, to Walkinshaw's main game team. I know that Triple Eight had a pretty good look at him, actually, when they had to replace Shane all of a sudden. And they tested Ryan for an eval day last year, and they were super impressed. But, um, yeah, they couldn't go anywhere with it because he was uh, tied now to WAU. Uh, Tickford's two-car lineup seems to be firming as Cam Waters and Thomas Randall. James Courtney, meanwhile, has pretty much been linked to every single team in the paddock. Uh, one of the front runners as of the weekend is BRT. He could land there as a replacement for Todd Hazelwood and a team leader and mentor for Aaron Love should BRT secure secure its second TRC as expected. Um, other Another option is Matt Stone Racing as a replacement for Jack LeBrock. Our team owner Matt Stone has been pretty clear on the fact that he does want someone proven and experienced to come in alongside Cam Hill next season. I reckon JC is very high on the wish list at MSR. There are also some commercial considerations there given Truck Assist is on the move to WAU next season, but it does seem the team is is trying to avoid going down the to the highest bidder path. Stefan, JC is in his 40s, but commercially savvy and still very fast on his day. You know, when some decent drivers are going to miss out, but he seems an absolute given to land on the grid, that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing in some ways. Like, there's probably only three or four seats left now, and James could pretty much have any of them. He's just, uh, as you say, got that mix of raw ability and whatever you want to call it, commercial charisma that seems to mean it doesn't actually matter that he hasn't won a race for for seven years. But um, I tell you what, some of my South Australian brethren would be having a few sleepless nights at the moment. Some of the other names here that haven't got a seat, Scott Pye, Nick Perkett and Todd Hazelwood. What's, uh, What's the latest on those guys? What are you hearing? Yeah, pretty interesting. I think it could get tough for Toddy from here because all indications are that he's probably not going to be at BRT next season. And sort of looking at the available options, you know, we're talking about MSR where he's had a couple of cracks there. So, you know, I'm sure they'd look at him again, but um, you have to think at some point they're going to say, well, this hasn't necessarily worked before. Is it going to work again? Um, You could say the same for BJR if something were to pop up there. you know, Scotty Pye, Nick Perkett, they're both in the frame for the MSR seat, I believe, as is JC, as I mentioned before. You know, that's an interesting proposition, that MSR seat, because it's a race-winning seat. You know, we've seen that that team has made a very solid start to the Gen 3 year. I have been really focused on it and, you know, they've gone out and, and won a race this year. So if they back themselves commercially – why not go out there and, and, and shop this around and, and dream of landing, you know, a former champion like JC or, you know, someone like Nick Perkett who has proven to be very good and is obviously coming off a, you know, a tough run, but they've rebuilt drivers before. They've certainly given Jack LeBrock a platform to kind of reinvigorate his career and show what he can do. So, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. It's interesting. And anyway, on that topic, I actually grabbed Matt Stone for a chat about his plans for next year and a couple of other things Uh at the bend on Sunday Arvo, and here it is. So how was this weekend? Good, strong finish in the last race. So, Jeff, we're sort of used to seeing you guys hanging around a bit yeah. more regularly now. It's, um, look, it's been good. It was good to finish the weekend on our top 10, but um, certainly we're all ready, ready to get out of Dodge or, or Tail and Bend. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's never been kind to us, which is very strange, because, like, 
coming into the Gen 3 era, we expected all those like previous bias tracks and stuff to kind of go out the window. But, you know, Tassie and Darwin have always been good tracks for us yeah. and they remain so. And Tail and Bend has always been our bogey round. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even with the new cars and so much new of a new platform, it, it seems to, to still be that way. So we'll just look forward to the fact that it's the longest possible point now before we have to come back here and <laughs> and we'll keep and the next couple of tracks are, are ones we really like and go good at so you know it's looking good from here bit disappointed that Jack's leaving obviously understandable he's going to the team that is the absolute front-running team at the moment but you've just kind of hit some straps it seems to be such a positive partnership is it a bit of a shame that it's going to come to an end, at the end of the year? yeah look I think um, you know Jack's such a good culture fit and you know as, as early as you know a week before obviously uh, Will Brown was shockingly let out of his uh, contract. You know, we were we were very much underway to to keep that momentum yeah. going. Um, but look, you know, that is the that is the nature of the game, and it's competitive sports, and yeah. you know, we're all out there looking for a competitive edge. So, um, you know, we, I take pride in the fact that you know we've um, you know JLB came on board with us, and we've sort of really helped him develop to a point where you know he was essentially second pick in the draft this year. Yeah. Um, and you know, which which means that we've um, you know we've now got the third pick to fill, yeah. and you know I think we'll we'll come out positively and wish him all the best over at his new team, and, and also uh, try and uh, knock him down a peg on track next year. Pretty positive season for Cam Hill, really, as a rookie as well. Um, things sort of pointing towards him staying on next season at the moment. Absolutely, like you know we're uh, we, you know we're pretty open. I think have been very open that we're happy with Cam. Um, we see a lot of promise in him. Um, you know, we, we're not not interested in anyone else for that role, yep. that seat. Um, and, you know, I think it's just, yeah, we're basically working through the, the details. But I think, yeah, from both his side and ours, 100%, we're, we're wanted to keep the momentum going. Like, we've seen some great promise in him. Um, we've also seen a bit of bad luck. Um, you know, like, he's had a couple of unfortunate incidents on track. And, you know, we've had a couple of, like, teething issues with new, new equipment in the yep. pit lane that... Um, you know, have, have fouled his car once or twice this year. So, I think the, you know, the point situation doesn't reflect the true potential there. Yeah. Um, but you know, in a rookie year, you shouldn't be looking at your points anyway. You should just be focusing on each day. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it was certainly a lot of, a lot of potential there. And you know, we look forward to continuing to unlock it with him. You've got a race-winning seat to shop around now. Where are you sort of sitting on how you go about doing that? Do you have a short list? Do you know who you'd like? There are some pretty experienced guys, you know, that are going to be on the market. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're, you know, we're um, two weeks ago we weren't in this position and we thought we were happily sitting sitting on the sidelines while yeah. the silly season unfolded. But uh, as that is not not the case, you know, we're sort of getting getting in the game a little late. But at the same time, you know, there, there, there's a lot of interest out there and a lot of really good people that we're talking to. Um, you know, we. We're very happy with what we were doing with Jack and wanting to roll that forward. So from our point of view, there's no question as to what sort of driver we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, we want someone who, you know, is proven, um, you know, pr proven in Gen, proven and, and also proven in Gen 3. Yeah. Um, someone who can pick up right where Jack leaves off, um, you know, keep us punching um, up the front end of the field and, you know, hunting for those race wins and podiums. And, you know, so that's the caliber of, um, of what we're looking for and pretty confident that we should be able to sort something out fairly soon. Let's have a quick chat about New Zealand, Stefan. We are fine. We are going back finally. Taupo is the chosen venue, and I have to say, I love it. I like that we're going somewhere kind of wacky. Even without SVG there, I feel like it's going to be great, and there's going to be a heck of a lot of atmosphere. What do you reckon? 
this is just great news, isn't it? Well done to Supercars and to the NZ government for getting behind it and getting this deal over the line. And and it, as you said right at the top, it sounds like the Kiwis won't have to wait too long either if they ended up slotting this event into around April-ish in the calendar. All right, let's take a look at what happened around the world over the weekend. Francesco Bagnaia won both the sprint and main MotoGP races in Austria to extend his championship lead. Jack Miller finished fifth in the sprint but faded to 15th in the main race. Jack Aiken took a maiden DTM win at the Lausitz Ring in the first race while Mirko Bertolotti won the second and William Byron won the NASCAR Cup Series race at Watkins Glen. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Adam Sisaluk asks, with Ford doing a one-mate championship for the Dark Horse R in America, is there any chance they could do the same thing here in Australia, similar to Carrera Cup? Well, I gave our mate Ben Nightingale, who's Ford's motorsport manager here in Oz, a buzz and asked him that question. And he said, look, that is the point of the car. The first 40 cars being built are earmarked for the series that will run on the IMSA undercard. And beyond that, it will come down to interest. So Ford Australia will look at it. And if there's enough interest in the concept, it could happen. You know, given it's a 500 horsepower V8 powered car, which is pretty heavy and runs on slick, on a slick tire, it could actually be a nice step between a Formula Ford or Toyota 86 and Super 2. I do think the name Mustang Cup has kind of been trademarked by most of the Ford supercars drivers this year, though, Stefan. That could be an issue. Yeah, it's, um, that uh, term has certainly been used a lot this year, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what they do. It feels like Australian Motorsport already has a lot of categories, so it whether does, it yeah. needs another one or not, I'm not sure, but uh, manufacturer investment in the industry is uh, quite often a good thing as well, so we'll see where it goes. Alrighty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week. And I'm getting in first here, Stefan, because to me, there can only be one star, and it's Brad Jones Racing for that wild Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles livery on Macaulay's car over the weekend. As a kid born in the mid-1980s, that was right up my alley. And kudos to Neil Crompton, who rolled out this extra fact, if it is in fact true, that Dennis C. Brown, who is apparently Zach Brown's dad, wrote the original theme song for the cartoon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that is an amazing fact, and obviously an iconic song for anyone of around my vintage. Uh, who gets your Castrol star? Well, that is uh, that was a great one, Andrew, but uh, there does have to be two stars, so just uh, calm down All on right. that. It's not just one star. And okay. my star is going to a young American driver by the name of Jesse Love who won the ARCA Series race at Watkins Glen on the weekend with a pretty questionable last corner bump and run sort of move, but... There's been a lot of talk in recent months about whether Cup Series drivers are any good at road courses. Obviously, as we know, Shane bruised a few egos over there in Chicago. But this bloke, and and I've got the quote here in front of me, he described his driving style on a road course as like a blind dog drinking a smoothie. And for that bizarre (laughs) bit of honesty, he gets my start of the week. Hang on, he won the race. He did win the race, yeah. There was like a one-lap shootout to the finish. Wow, and he's still saying he's no good at it. Or is he saying he's good at it? I don't get it. I don't, I don't know if I understand what he said. There's, uh, there's, I'm sure, some philosophy in there for us all to ponder uh, in these next couple of weeks when apparently you're going to be uh, you're going to be away. No podcast. Yes. Yep. Before I sign off, just a quick note to say that I will be taking a break for a couple of weeks, having a bit of a pre-enduros holiday, but we'll be back in the week leading up to the Sandown 500. I assume there will be 9,000 driver movements uh, in between now and then that we'll need to cover off. Um, so yes, anyway, don't be uh, don't be looking out for the next 
two weeks, but after that we will be back and ready for a massive run to the Adelaide 500. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll be back in a fortnight with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.